So two weeks ago, we did what our annual message, message called Oath. It's an acrostic from on top of the hill. We climbed on top of the hill. Kind of our theme that day is even if there's fog uh, and fatigue at the top of the hill, uh, that doesn't mean we still don't have a calling to be faithful. We can't always see clearly. Today, I'm really doing part two of that installment. It's not really our oath message. It's just more, we're, we're not really on top of the hill, but we're going to our core today. And we're going to talk about something that's very important. Uh, we're going to give attention to our core. I don't know about you, I could, my core could use a little attention right now. I feel like I'm still eating like it's holiday season. And uh, Ben, you need to help me. I need to give some attention to my core. It's tough to get more core than the mission, than the mission statement. The objective today is clarity. My hope is that you will leave today crystal clear on what our what is, what our mission is. If it's not clear now, I pray that it will be. If it already is clear, I pray it will increasing measure become your passion. And it will help get you up in the morning. I'm not exaggerating. I'm praying that it won't just be some ideal, some mission statement that you wonder if we hired a marketing firm to create or something like that. No, it will be personal for you, not just something that we do at the office at church. It will be very personal, what we're about together to help people know and follow Christ, living and leading in his likeness to the ends of the earth. To help people know and follow Christ, living and leading in his likeness. Do you mean to help people live and lead in his likeness? Or is that the way that we help people know and follow Christ by living and leading in his likeness? And the answer to that is yes, to both, to the ends of the earth. Our mission statement comes directly from what we believe and have convictions about what is primary in the teaching and life of Jesus from the New Testament letters and from our understanding of who God is and what He's up to, what His heart is locked into. And I want to start by trying to present a few streams that flow into our mission statement. And I, I hope that these streams will look crystal clear to you. They'll make sense to you. I grew up in East Tennessee. We had a lot of really clear streams where I grew up. Places where you could see your feet in five foot of water. We had one place called the Blue Hole that we would go swim in and we would climb a tree and drop out of the tree. You had an area that big, you better hit or you're going to hit a rock. And, uh, but it was, so, it was about 20 feet deep but it was clear. You could see the bottom. So I want to give you six clear streams that feed our mission statement. Number one, that Christ is God who came in the flesh as man. I hope you can get clear about that. Christ, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. There's a fancy word for that. It's called incarnation. God coming as a man. 
The writer of Hebrews, probably more than a writer, the preacher of Hebrews, said in the past God has spoke to us through the prophets at various times in many ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us through His Son who is the radiance of God's glory and hear this, the exact representation of His being. He sustains all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for our sins, He sat down because He was done at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is God who came in the flesh. We don't fully get that. How He's fully God and fully man at the same time. But it's just because it's a bit beyond our understanding. It makes sense to us that God would do that and walk among us and be with us in humanity rather than being something distant and far off that we cannot reach and cannot relate to. God came as Christ. So because we believe this, we say Christ is the beautiful, full, and compelling presence of God among us. That's where we learn most clearly who God is. We look to Jesus. We understand Jesus. As Brian mentioned, we become His students. We live as His apprentices. We are convinced He's the smartest person that ever lived. Whatever your major is, whatever your vocation is, He knows more about it than you do, than your professors do. Jesus was God's agent of speaking the universe into existence. Wrap your head around that. Christ is the beautiful and compelling presence of God. Number two, Christ came to seek and save people. People lost but looking for more than what the world and religion was giving. Christ came to bring life to lost, seeking people, needy people, people looking for more. Whatever that more they were trying to fill in, that emptiness, Christ came to fill that fully. Scripture calls this eternal life, not just one day, someday out there life, life here. For God so loved the world, Jesus' best friend John writes, that He gave His only Son that who should believe in Him would receive life eternal. Jesus came to seek and save people. Therefore, we believe helping people to know Christ is to help them at the point of their greatest need and their deepest hope and longing. We are convinced that whatever it is we're longing for, whatever it is we're looking for, Jesus is the answer. Do you believe that? Whatever it is, He feels it. He brings us life. You, you may say that's very simplistic. Not really. It's just simplicity on the side of God's beautiful mind and complexity. He came that way for us. So that you and your five-year-old kid could understand it. But trust me, there's nothing simple about it. What God has done for us. Number three. 
We believe that Christ calls men and women to trust and follow Him with their entire lives. Christ did not come just so people would get their heaven card punched. That certainly is a part of it, and thank God for it. Eternity compared to our 70 or 80 or whatever it is years here, there's not much... uh, Our life here is short. But He came for this life too. Not just one day, someday. He came to address our lives. He wanted to begin here, now, in your life, in our life, in our time, in our place. Christ always calls us right from where we are. Not from where we think we should be or want to be. He calls us right where we are and invites us into His kingdom. Right here. Right now. Christ calls men and women to trust and follow Him with their entire lives. Have you experienced that call? So we believe helping people to follow Christ is of utmost importance. Christ doesn't separate salvation and discipleship. It's not that they're exactly the same thing. It's just that they go together. We follow Him when we trust Him. We trust Him by following Him. We trust Him as we follow Him. We understand we don't do those things perfectly. That's not the point. We trust Him and we follow Him. Number four, we believe that those receiving Christ's life, those who trust and follow Him, begin a relationship with him in which they actually begin taking on his character as they learn to live their lives in relationship with him scripture calls this transformation that as we trust and follow Jesus a process of God's activity in our lives merged with our real life the events circumstances and relationships in our lives are are forged to become like Jesus So we have a vision where we ask, how would Jesus live my life if He were me? If He had my background, my story, my marriage. How would Jesus do it? My job. My depression. My challenges. My failures. How would Jesus live in that? So we believe because we are to take on His character, helping people live, love, and lead in His likeness is to participate in God's great activity and vision for men and women and boys and girls. Number five, stream number five, Christ came for every person. Every tribe, every tongue. And Christ is, has, and continues to create a new entity to those who say yes to that call. He calls it the called out ones. The church. It's a diverse community of people who don't agree about everything. Of people who have different backgrounds. Who vote differently who look differently, 
who have different socioeconomic journeys. These called out ones, they're bound together not by those things. But they have a common Lord. And they have a common allegiance to that Lord. And they have a common loyalty to one another because of their allegiance to that Lord. We must be crystal clear. There is in Christ neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ. That's where our unity is. So because of this, we believe we are to respond to and help any person God gives us the opportunity and the privilege to help, regardless of who they are, what they have done, and where they came from. Jesus is not a tribal God. He's not an American God. He is Lord of all, and He is no respecter of persons. Stream number six that feeds our mission statement. In a commanding kind of way, Jesus commissioned His church to make disciples, apprentices, followers of every nation. The Great Commission all the way to the ends of the earth. So we believe we are privileged and commissioned to play a part in this incredible enterprise of making disciples of all nations. I hope those streams are as clear as the blue hole to you. I hope you can see your feet in six feet of water. Our mission statement to help people know and follow Christ, living and leading in His likeness to the ends of the earth. I hope you'll commit that to memory. It matters. It's really the Great Commission just said in 16 words instead of however many are in the Great Commission. I didn't count them. We didn't say it quite as good as Jesus did. We just cut them down to 16 words. The common denominator, I hope you heard it in the six streams, is Jesus. He holds them together. It's completely rational that a church's mission statement, common denominator, would be Jesus. Because in Scripture, it calls the church Jesus' body. Carrying and living out Jesus' mission. The church of all things. The body of Christ. Christ is our core. We are His body. And He's given us a mission. We didn't create it. He did. We didn't have to hire a marketing firm. Mission was already there for us. And it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. All authority, he says, has been given to me. And now I'm going to tell you something out of my authority. He's what he's saying. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Introduce them to those three persons of God. Teach them to obey all the things I've been trying to teach you, knuckleheads, for the last three years. Start there. That'll probably take the rest of their lives. And then he speaks out of his authority again. I'll be with you the whole way through. Even to the ends of the earth. Help people know. Help people follow. Help people to live and lead in his likeness. 
character and actions of Christ all the way to the end, to the very ends of the earth. That's our mission. We believe it's true. Why? Because we have come to understand that only in Christ there's hope. Something the world could use a whole lot more of. Hope. It was C.S. Lewis who said, The church exists for no other reason than to draw men to Christ. To make them little Christ. If they're not doing then that, all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the mission sermons, even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's doubtful, you know, whether the universe was created for any other purpose. I hope that's clear. The clarity makes us ask the question, so what? What does it mean? How do we live this out? I'm convinced it's primary. How do we make it our primary endeavor? How do you make it your primary endeavor? How do you make it what gets you up in the morning? Well, I I believe, I don't know everything there is to say to those kinds of questions, but I want to say a couple things. The answer to those questions has to start with you as an individual. You have to do business with the question. Each of us, as followers of Christ, has been given the Great Commission. We believe that. It's, it's place and prominence in Scripture demands that. You know, the Great Commission was there before Jesus said the Great Commission. Did you know that? When God really began a people of his own, he said to old Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless the nations. When that tribe was formed through, he made, that he made out of Abraham, Israel, he said Israel, it's too small a thing for you just to like do your own club. I've made you a light to the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Clarity. I'm about my glory everywhere. All people, every person, every tribe, every tongue. Anything that's not Jesus-centered is out of bounds for God. Each of us are invited to say yes to the Great Commission. So let's read it in its entirety. Matthew 28 is where we find it. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. History has proven that those words of Jesus ignited a world revolution. That's not an exaggeration. 
How do those words impact you? Those words of Christ. Did, did you catch verse 17 that says, Of the eleven, some worshipped and some doubted? Or were they doubting while they were worshipping? Here's the interesting thing for me. The fact that some of them were doubting didn't seem to create a crisis for Jesus. He didn't separate them into two groups, best we can tell. Okay, you believers, you get over here. You guys that are like struggling with doubt, I'll talk to you in a minute. That's not what happened. He speaks to the worshiping and the wondering together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. Make disciples of all nations. All authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is trying to be crystal clear with them. Up to this point, He's been hoping they get it, who Jesus is. God come in the flesh. Who came to seek and to save. Who calls men and women, boys and girls, to follow. And in that following, they're going to take on His life. It's going to work its way into their character. He's been teaching that kind of sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, sometimes a bit subversively. Not here. All authority in heaven and on earth. It's mine. You can't get much clearer than that. Here's the good news in it for us. He's also saying this. The responsibility of the mission just like the authority of the mission, is His. So here's what we don't have to do with the Great Commission. It becomes a heavy weight on our shoulders that we carry around. Always feeling like a failure because we're not doing a very good job. He has called us into a life in which we're partnering with Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That life we've got baptized into that life that we're learning obedience to, that life is not ours. It's His. That's where authority comes from. That's so compelling to me. I hope it is for you too. I don't have to get up every morning and try to change the world. I don't even have to get up on Sunday mornings and try to preach a good sermon. Now there is a lot of effort that went into this sermon. There's a lot of effort that's going to go into your Monday too. But you know what? It's not on you. The life that you have in Christ, it's the eternal, enduring kind of life. Christ bears the responsibility. Our part is clear here. It's to help people know and follow Him. That's our part. It's not to convert anyone. It's to help people know and follow Christ. We cannot make them. We cannot force them. You wouldn't want to. Because you'd have to keep doing it. Do you want to be part of that revolution? That's the question this morning. Do you want to be part of that? No one can make that call for you. It has to begin with you. I can't. I can't guilt you into it. I can't coerce you into it. I don't want to because I don't want to have to keep doing it. But I will do all I can to help you stay on that road and help you get on that road. 
You have to decide if you're in the revolution or not. Go and help others be my followers. It's God's work. So I want to I go forward just a couple verses later, although we don't think of it that way. Acts chapter 1 uh, is just a couple verses later. Jesus has given the Great Commission, and Luke tells us shortly after that of the disciples coming to Jesus with a question. So, you know, what would your first question to Jesus be after getting the Great Commission? I don't know what mine would be. Might be worth thinking about that. Never thought about it really. Here was their first question Hey, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Can you imagine his shoulders slumping at that point? It was the primary question for them Are you going to restore Israel to its greatness? It was primary for them, but it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't to God. Their ambitions were wrapped up in their nationalistic thoughts, visions. Jesus was not thinking about that. In fact, he saw that vision as a competing vision. I don't think he thought it was wrong for them to love their country. And to be loyal to it. But it wasn't primary. Jesus has been spending three years saying things like, Seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness. Give your life to follow Me. Love Me in such a way that all competing loves fade. He's been teaching them for three years what mattered, that his kingdom was breaking in. God had come to live among sinful men and women. What God was doing, what Jesus was doing, was what God was paying attention to, and their ambitions were way too small. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in your tribal stuff. I'm not interested in making your nation great. It's too small. I just blatantly told you, make disciples of all nations. All peoples. And you're still not getting it. So here's how he answers them. It's not for you to know. But you, when you're empowered by God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, be my witnesses. There it is. That's our part. Right there. Don't miss that. That's our part. He's not saying, go change the world, go convert the world. He's saying, be my witnesses. Be real and honest about the Jesus that I am to you, wherever you are. Bear witness to that. Be ready. Peter wrote it this way, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for their what? Hope. The hope that you have. Bear witness. Be ready to talk about what makes your life distinct. What gives your life its flavor, its light. Explain your hope. Be ready. Something the world doesn't know. Hope. Be ready. Practice up. 
on that. Be alert. Be my witnesses. Paul said it this way. Don't just use your words. Be wise in the way you act. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. There's precision and clarity in these words. Be alert, not just with your words, with your actions. Be wise in your living. Be prepared to give an answer with your work, your words. Be my witnesses. You know, to be Christ's witness is not something you just kind of stumble into. It takes focus, preparation, courage, boldness to be a faithful witness. Just like if you were called into a court of law and were called to give witness to something that might be hard. It takes attentiveness. It doesn't, we don't like slop our way into it. We don't stumble our way into being a good witness. It takes intent. It takes vision. But you know what? There's not much about world revolutions that happen naturally. Can you say yes to that? Preparing your life to be prepared, to be alert. Can we prepare our lives? So the first answer to the question is, so what now? Was We have to take personal responsibility for the so what. The second one is this. Let's say yes together. Because saying yes, while it has to start with each of us, the Great Commission is given to a group. It's given to a people. It's given to this new tribe called the church of every tribe and tongue. Let's read verse 17 again. Then the eleven witnesses went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. I love that phrase. Some doubted. Maybe he's talking about you. I know he's talking about me. I love the honesty of the Bible. You know, these are like heroes of the faith, right? These are like the disciples. Some doubted. They're struggling. I love that there's a place for them here. Jesus doesn't divide them into two groups. They saw Jesus and they worshipped. Some doubted. The convinced and the sort of, but not 100% convinced, we're right there together. And he gives them the Great Commission. You know the word for doubt here doesn't mean doubt of unbelief. It means doubt of hesitation. Of uncertainty. And it doesn't seem to cause a crisis. What I really love about this is Jesus gives the Great Commission to them nonetheless. He knows they belong to Him. They have already made a decision to follow. Some were just in a better place that day than others. 
Maybe some of their personality, they're maybe just a lot more headstrong than others. They just don't struggle with questioning much. Some of them really did. Either way, it's not freaking Jesus out. Some worshiped, some doubted. He addresses them all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I wonder if he was looking at the doubters when he said that. Hey, guys, I got this. You're all right. You doubters, stay near the non-doubters. You'll be all right. Go make disciples of all nations. I'll be with you. Do it together, you doubters and non-doubters. Do it together. Did you know at the bottom of the mountain, Jesus is up there with the 11, there's about 110 other revolutionaries at the bottom of the mountain, people who had already made a decision to follow Christ. They're on board. They're just waiting for these guys' lead. In a few days, their 120 is going to be over 3,000. No one saw that one coming. No one except God. So here we have this struggling little band of brothers, 11, some doubting. And then we have 100 more at the bottom of the mountain. We could add it up, but all that probably equal about the size of us in this room. What they didn't realize that in just a few weeks, there was going to be over 3,000. God was getting ready to do something. Lord, are you now going to make Israel great again? Stupid, stupid, stupid. That's what I would have been saying. I'm not sure how Jesus says that. Guys, I'm about to change the world. God's getting ready to visit in power. Stay together. Be my witnesses. And you know what? They did. The eleven got busy. And it hasn't stopped. Here we are. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. Immerse them in the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey what I've been teaching you. And don't quit. Because I'll be with you. All the way to the end. To help people know and follow Christ. Living and leading in His likeness to the ends of the earth. They're the same thing. I want to close with a passage of Scripture out of Matthew. It's a really important teaching of Jesus. Jesus has been on the mountain the previous time, and I'm just going to read it and make a couple comments. We're about done, so Ben, you guys can come on up if you want. It's the end of this big sermon Jesus gives, and it's an important thing he's, uh, we're about to hear. Um, he's, he's finishing his sermon, so it's how I'm going to finish our sermon today. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, <clears throat> Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think Jesus is trying to, I don't know what all he's saying here, but I think one thing he's saying is, it's not about saying the right things. 
Our mission is not to go out and get people to say what they don't really believe. It's not seeing how many people we can get to pray a prayer. Obviously, they need to do those things. They need to say, confess, and they need to pray. But that's not our mission. Our mission is to help people know and follow Jesus. And then he says, it's not about doing spectacular things. Lord, I perform miracles. I cast out demons. What's Jesus say? I never knew you. Our mission is to help people come to know him. We can't make them know him. But we can help. We can help them get on the road. And then help them stay on the road. And then Jesus says, therefore... Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew. It beat against the house. It didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew. It beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is my takeaway from it today. Jesus is looking for a people of steady, persistent discipleship of him. Not people whose ambition is to say the right things and do great, spectacular things. He's looking for people who will say, I will follow you with my life in the mundane and the common as well as the occasional extraordinary. I will follow you. I will build my house on you, Christ. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed because Jesus taught as one who had what? Somebody say it. Authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. I am with you to the very end. How does the clarity of the Great Commission speak to you today? What does it say to you? Like in that, I want to help people know and follow Christ. I want to help them live and lead in His likeness to the ends of the earth, to the very end of my life. What does that say to you? What's the takeaway for you? That's the, that's the question I leave with you for you to struggle with. Or maybe joyfully say yes to. Whichever one it is, remember, Jesus is giving it in His commanding kind of way, knowing it's actually the best thing in the world for you. It's where life is found, obeying what he's commanded us. Let me pray, and then we'll worship. Father, we stand before you not as people who, who think we're going to grab this bull by the horns and go do great things. We, we stand before you reminding ourselves how often we miss it, blow it, fail uh, we always have to come to you with that realization, Father, because we want to humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that the authority and the responsibility is yours 
you've changed and are changing our lives and inviting us to join you. So I pray no one would walk out of here with this feeling like a yoke on their neck, but an invitation to join you in your yoke, that trusting you with our lives would be worth it for each of us. God, would you give each person in this room, in the way that only you do, this unique grace to say yes to the mission that you've given us. I pray no one in this room will feel unqualified. Father, if there are people in this room who don't know you yet, start with them there. God, help them in their journey to know who you are to say, I'm inviting you to enter my life by saying no to everything you've given your allegiance to and to say yes to follow me with your life. God, give them that grace. For those who know you already, would you give them a renewed sense of this is why I get up in the morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us, for being with us to the very end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.